Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Amen. Glory to God. We're so blessed that you can join us today. We are going to venture down a road that few people travel, but yet everyone must learn. We're going to go down a road today that Jesus himself talked about when he said that the way into eternal life you must follow the narrow path go through the narrow gate for wide is the way and wide is the gate that leads to death and many go therein at but few find the path to everlasting life now we're going to talk about what he was saying as we talk about life today life in jesus Amen. The resurrected life in Jesus. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started in today's teaching. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. The word that became life. We thank you for you resurrecting that word, that life in Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving to us that life, your resurrected life, eternal life, the forgiveness of all our sins. And as we go through this study today, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and understanding in the scriptures that we may tap into this eternal life and share this life with those that need to hear. Lord, I pray this day your word goes forth and does not return to you void. I pray this day that your word accomplishes what you please and prospers wherever in this entire world your people hear it. And we give to you, Father, all of the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. Repeat these words out loud. Let them 
sink deep into your heart. It's commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed. So I encourage you to look it up and study these words and understand why we use this as the foundation upon which we build each and every teaching. Repeat these words after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified dead and buried. He descended into hell, but the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to be going through several scriptures today if this continues to proceed the way the Lord put it in my heart as I was praying about what to share with you today. So I encourage you to grab a pen and a paper and be ready to write these scripture references down. I would encourage you not to try and follow along with me in the scriptures. You can if you're quick, but because of the time that we have here, I'm going to be going fast. Amen? But I will tell you what the scripture references are so you can either try and keep up and follow along or at least write them down so you can look at them later. Amen. Let me give you a chance to get a pad and paper while I take a sip of water. All right. Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, and then we'll read down from there. Jesus is talking here. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And his disciples asked him, you know, teach us to pray. And he just went through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Verse 14, let's go there. If you forgive men their trespasses, in other words, if you forgive men when they do you wrong, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So forgiveness is the first and foremost point Jesus is trying to make here. He is paying the price for the world's sin. Now, that you know, it encompasses everyone, even Muslims and Buddhists. He did not die just for Christians. There were no Christians. He died for every person who would believe. Amen? 
That includes the murderers, the rapists, the child molesters. That includes thieves and robbers. That includes Muslims and Hindus and and whoever, whosoever would believe shall be saved. But the qualifier is, if you want to receive forgiveness of your sins where you miss the mark. That's basically what sin is. It misses the mark and brings separation between you and the Father. You must forgive your fellow man. That means someone who did molest you when you were a child. That means someone who did rape you. That means someone who did steal from you. That means someone who did kill a family member. You have to forgive that individual. It may be difficult, but you have to understand for you to receive forgiveness when you miss the mark, you need to forgive. The Bible says, the Lord God says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay it, saith the Lord. You are not the one to seek revenge. A lot of times people will Harbor unforgiveness. I just can't forgive that person for what they did to me. Well, you're going to carry that with you to your grave. That unforgiveness will stop the flow of the Spirit and stop the flow of the blessing in your life. And you'll struggle the rest of your life. I know. I've experienced it. You know, I had a thriving thriving career three times over really the military I'm not going to go into all the details with my background you can read it on the website but basically I was ahead of all my peers I was the first person in the history of the 8th United States Army in Korea and Asia over there to get a 100% rating through the NCO Academy, I maxed out the whole thing. The first one ever to do it. I was promoted ahead of my contemporaries. I was three years as a drill sergeant. I was selected as a drill sergeant of the quarter. Uh, I was on my fast track, I guess you could say. I became a commissioned officer. Excellent ratings throughout, but then they decided they had too many officers. And I was put on the chopping block. And the only thing I had ever wanted to do was spend my life in the military. It devastated me. For more than 10 years, I refused to forgive. I harbored such resentment of what they did to me and my family. And this was even after I became a Christian. I still harbored unforgiveness in my heart. When I finally forgave what they did to me and my family, the blessings came back into our life. We moved to Maryland. I became a police officer. Well, in between that time, I went into private business, established my own agency, and and was number two in the nation, agency concerns. We're making $50,000 a month. It was just excellent. And then 
the whole thing just collapsed. Uh, we we've been lied to concerning a retirement stock option program, and I had invested myself in it completely for seven years, and then that disappeared. So there's resentment and unforgiveness there. When I finally forgave all of this, another door of opportunity opened, and I came to Maryland and became a police officer. Once again, shot up through the ranks, had an excellent career going when I got hurt. And now this career was going to be taken from me, but this time there was a difference. This time I sought the Lord who showed me he was putting me down the path now that he wanted me to take. So I yielded myself completely to him and what was supposed to take between 12 and 18 months to process my retirement took less than 30 days. And God had us establish this radio station, this radio network, our radio ministry. And it's just grown by leaps and bounds because the blessing of the Lord is here. Because I do not harbor unforgiveness in my heart anymore. And I want you to understand that. That when you hold on to whatever anybody has ever done to you, and you refuse to forgive. And you'll hear people say, well, I'll forgive the sinner, but I can't forgive the sin. That's not your job to judge the sin either. Your job is to forgive and ask the Lord to work on these individuals' hearts. I don't care if he murdered a member of your family or you were raped or whatever the case may be. You need to forgive and seek the Lord and ask him to touch that person's heart. You know, it may be difficult, but you got to do it by faith. Amen? You have to do it by faith. When Jesus died for the sins of the world, he had to do it by faith. Everybody, the whole town welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Coming out with laying down their clothes in the path, laying palm branches down, cheering them, the son of David, Hosanna, and all these things. And just a few days later, the same people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He had to die by faith. No one, not one person, well, there was the widow's son who was raised from the dead. But what I'm talking about, Jesus had to die by faith that he was dying for the sins of the world. He had to die by faith that God would raise him from the dead. Amen. You have to understand that. You have to do the same thing. You have to die to self. You have to die to self in order to receive Jesus as your Savior. Your spirit, man, you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you live in this body. Your body and your soul do not live forever. 
Your spirit man does. And you have to make the decision to let your spirit man die and trust by faith that Jesus will come into your heart and recreate a new spirit in you that's created in his image, which is the image of God. You have to die by faith without seeing that, without being able to see it, but you have to die, make the decision to let your spirit man die. Now, those who are not saved, when their body dies, their spirit departs. And when their spirit departs, there's only one of two locations it can go. Those who are not created in the image of Christ, they go to eternal damnation. Those who are created in the image of Christ go to be with him. There's only two locations. But the point is you have to make the decision to die. Now, some people make the decision to kill themselves. That's accepting a lie of the devil. Because if you kill yourself, who are you trusting in to raise you from the dead? You see, someone who is deceived and listening to the devil and commits suicide, they're trusting in themselves that this will end the pain. Someone who receives Jesus as their Savior trust in someone greater that they'll be okay. And when you accept Jesus as your Savior and ask Him to come into your heart and create in you a new man, glory to God, He does. For He's standing at the door and knocks. And whoever opens to Him, He will come in. And make his abode in you. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is completely off my notes. Someone needs to hear this this day. Your spirit man will live forever. You will be reunited with your physical body and your soul at the last day at the resurrection. Those who have made the decision to trust in what Jesus has done for them, those who have made the decision to die to self and ask Jesus to come into their heart, their bodies will be resurrected and glorified. Oh, amen. That means it will never die. Your mind, your will, your emotions are intact and live forever. 
Those who refuse to receive Jesus as their Savior, they reject what he did on the cross for them. They do not believe God raised him from the dead for them. Their bodies, their souls, will also be reunited with their spirit at the judgment. And they're their complete human body, along with their eternal spirit, it will be cast into hell. Jesus talked about in Luke the parable of the... Well, it's not. he didn't say it was a parable. He said there was a rich man who fared sumptuously. And there was Lazarus. So it's Lazarus and the rich man. Both died. Angels carried Lazarus into, at the time, since Jesus had not yet died and been resurrected, it was an upper region of hell where they were protected from torment. It was called paradise. Abraham's bosom. The rich man went to hell. His body was still in the earth, buried, turned into dust and ashes. But listen to what he said. He could see, because he's seen Abraham and Lazarus in the upper regions, he could talk, because he'd talked back and forth with Abraham. He could hear, because he could hear what Abraham was saying. He could taste because he asked Abraham to send Lazarus and just put his finger in the water and just touch his tongue with the cool of the water. He could feel because he said, I'm torments in this place. He could reason because he tried arguing with Abraham. So his complete mind, will, and emotions were still intact. He was unrepentant. He never asked forgiveness for his sins. He was still egotistical. He tried to command Lazarus to do so. Then he tried to command Abraham to do stuff. So his entire being is still intact. But what does it say? He's in torment in this place. And it will be never ending. It will never stop. It will never get easier. They just are tormented forever. But those who make the decision to receive Jesus as their Savior, who accept he died in their place, he went to hell for three days in their place that God honored his sacrifice for them and loved him and them so much that he was raised from the dead. The life was resurrected. The word, matter of fact, I know this is where I was headed, but this is where we're going. John chapter 1. Glory to God. Let's look at this. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. I want you to hold on to that Word. The Word was with God. 
The Word was God. That Word was God. Or you could say God is the Word. Amen? The same Word, which was with God and was God, was in the beginning with God. It was right there. All things were made by Him. Him who's the Word. Him who is God. Him who was God. Him who was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him there was not anything made that was made. In Him, in this Word, which was God, is God, and was with God, was life. And that life was the light of man, down in verse 14. And the Word that was in the beginning with God and was God, by whom all things were made, that was life, and the life that was the light of men, that word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. And this was Jesus, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. Amen. Jesus is the word. Turn the page to John chapter 3. Everyone knows John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave the only son that he gave birth to through a woman. Adam was created as a son of God. Adam was created. Jesus was begotten. Amen? It's the only begotten Son between God and humanity. Jesus was all man. And Jesus was all God. You, yourself, have DNA from your mother and your father. Jesus had DNA from his mother and his father. His mother's DNA qualified him to be a human in this earth. His father's DNA qualified him to be God, the inheritor of all things. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. If you were living in the biblical times, and let's say, uh, well, Simon, son of Jonah, not Jonah with the whale, that's a common name like John, Simon, son of John, that's who you were. And if your father was a fisherman, and he died, then you inherited the fishing business if you were the oldest son. If you were the only son, you would inherit the fishing business. 
Jesus continuously referred to himself as the Son of Man. A lot of people just skim over that. But the Son of Man is a reference that he is the inheritor of everything man has. And in the beginning was the word. Well, let's go to Genesis. Glory to God. Genesis chapter 2. Hallelujah. Let's look at this. Glory, hallelujah. First five days, God made everything. Everything. And he made it for his man. Verse 26 in chapter 1 says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let this man have dominion over basically everything. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I could go on for that in a while, but right now, let's just look at this. God blessed them. He put the blessing, his blessing, of increase upon them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue the earth, and have dominion over everything in the earth. So he gave all of creation into the authority of the man he had created. And Adam blew it. He blew it. But Jesus came as one greater than Adam. You see, Adam, yes, God breathed into his nostrils over in chapter 2, verse 7, and man became a living soul. Another translation in Hebrew means a speaking spirit. His words had authority in the earth. Amen. But Jesus was born of a woman. Since he's the only son God has that was created through the womb of a woman, he, according to the law, becomes the inheritor of mankind. Amen. He is the only one who can inherit mankind. That's why he referred to himself continuously as the Son of Man. He asked uh, Peter and all the disciples, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? Then who do you say I am? And Jesus said, You are the Son of the Most High God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my spirit, my Father's spirit has revealed this to you. And upon that revelation of the Holy Spirit declaring Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. You have to come to the place 
where you make the decision to die. I know that's not popular in some churches right now. It needs to be reinstituted. When you give the invitation, you have people come down to the front. Some people, and this is the reason these secular churches refuse to do this, is because they say, well, we don't want to embarrass anyone, making people think that... uh, you know, maybe they haven't been saved and, you know, now they're, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. And and if they see them coming down to the front, they go, what? I thought they were saved. They've been in this church 20 years. Oh, yeah. So to save the people from that shame, we'll just have them check the block on a little card and call themselves saved. Jesus didn't just check the block on a car and say, okay, man's sins are forgiven. No, he died publicly. He died despitefully. He died shamefully, publicly exposed, hanging naked on a cross, beaten to within just a fraction of his life. And then the crucifixion finished him off. Jesus died openly. Why is it you can't even walk down to the front of the church and say, I publicly confess that I am now a believer? What is so hard about that? Because you don't want people to think bad about you? Jesus had no problem with people thinking bad about him. He refused to back down, glory to God. They came to him over in Matthew chapter 22. Let's go over there. Matthew 22. Man, I'm I'm not getting hardly anywhere with my scripture notes, am I? <laughs> glory to God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I was going to read a scripture, 336 in John. Let, Let me just read that so we can go on. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believes not the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide on him. That's not a good scripture if you're not a believer. Amen? Now, Matthew chapter 22. Yeah, Matthew 22. Matthew 22 in, uh, oh, let's say, John came to you in the way of righteousness. Talking about John the Baptist. And you did not believe him. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. Jesus is reasoning here with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And he's telling them, 
you are thinking you're keeping the commandments. You're thinking you're holy, but you're not. Because you know what John talked about was true. You even went out to see him thinking he might be the Messiah. He came to you in the way of righteousness, but you wouldn't believe him. But those who you've cast out and said, you're lost, there's absolutely no hope for you, the publicans, the tax collectors, and the harlots, they believed John. And they believed that the Messiah was coming, and they repented of their sins and were baptized by John in the Jordan River unto righteousness saying, we will live righteous for the Son of God. But you, when you see these things, you would not repent that you might be saved. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a certain house owner, planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and lent it out to husbandmen, and then went into a far country. Now, Let's modernize this a little bit. I've seen this. Individuals in the military buy a house knowing they won't be there but maybe three years, maybe four tops. But it's a place that they're comfortable with. It's a place they want to live in. So they buy a house knowing when we retire, we will come back here. They love the view. They love the weather. They love the amenities around the area. So they buy this house as their retirement home, but for the next 15 years, they're not going to live there. So they lease it out. They rent it out. With the understanding that at the end of the lease, you know, with six months' notice, they can go ahead and move back in. So now, 15 years later, they decide they want to move back in. They're getting ready to retire. So they send notice. When the time of the, verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent to his servants, to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits from it. This would be the equivalent of, uh, let's say, instead of just a house, there was a farmland. They wanted to live out in the country. They wanted to have this farm. And they were going to allow the people living there to go ahead and farm the land. They wanted their share. And over the years, it wasn't given to them. But, well, that's okay. You know, the rent's being paid and all that. But now it's time for us to take the farm back. So they send a friend acting in capacity of the owner. And this would be indicative of a servant to the people renting the land that not only you know, do you owe us for the fruits, but it's time to give up the land because the owner wants it back. And the current renters took his servants, beat one, they killed another one, stoned another one. So they sent other servants to them, the same as the first. And they did to them likewise. And last of all, he sent unto them his son. 
his son came from wherever he was at, saying, you know, it's time to give up this land. My father, my parents, they want their farm back. Amen. And they said, and the, the owner said, you know, they'll listen to my son because he speaks for me. But when the current renters saw the son, they said among themselves, hey, this is the heir. If we can kill him, we get to keep the inheritance because there's nobody else. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, I'm assuming all of this took place without the law, the authorities, knowing who was, what was happening here. So, when the Lord, therefore, the vineyard comes, what will he do to these husbandmen? In other words, when the soldier retires and returns home, what's going to happen with the people living on his farm. And the publicans and the Sadducees and the Pharisees all said, he'll miserably destroy those wicked men. And then, if he wants, he can lease out his vineyard to others who will give him the fruits in their seasons. In our example, they'll come in with the sheriff and the law enforcement and arrest them. If they resist, they'll die. And Jesus said, did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Whomsoever this stone shall fall, it will grind him to power. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this, they perceived that he spoke of them. Now, down in verse 22. Now, this was the story that the Lord put in my spirit as I was preparing to share this with you today. On this farm, in our example, the soldier's been gone 15, 16 years. He is now coming back to take what rightfully belongs to him. That's the earth. God created the earth and all things in it and gave it to Adam. Adam was supposed to manage it. Instead, it was created for Adam. Adam gave it away. He squandered it. He blew it. But the time is coming when God wants it back. He sent his son to tell the people, I want it back. And they killed the son thinking, it's in all ours now. That still happens today. That still happens when someone rejects the offer of salvation thinking, I know better than God what I need. I don't need to submit myself to Jesus. I can take care of this situation myself. I don't need anybody's God telling me what to do. I don't need anyone believing in, a, in this superstitious God that somehow supernaturally he's going to take care of me. I don't need that. 
Jesus says, there's coming a day when you will regret that. Because right now, accepting him doesn't cost you anything but your life. There's coming a day when every knee shall bow. That's the angels, the devils, and all humanity. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those confessions and the bowing of the knee will either be done voluntarily or the angels will grasp the people by the neck, forcing them to their knees, inflicting such pain on them that they will declare Jesus is Lord. And then they're grabbed by the nape of the neck and tossed over the edge into the lake of fire. In our example with this farm, for 15, 16 years, this family owned and operated that farm. They love it there. That's their home now. Yeah, the house is getting a little dilapidated a little bit. But they want to remain on the land. The soldier is coming back. He has a son. How about our daughter getting married to their son? That would make us family. Since we're already good at operating the farm and know everything about it, how about we get a, another little place over here on the corner and we can be part of the family of the owners? Well, if the son goes along with that, that's a good plan. And he has to receive his bride and build a place for her on the property. Amen. You see the, correl the, the correlation I'm trying to make there? The Bible talks about you know, we, we talk about this old dilapidated house now. It's 20, 30 years old, we'll say. This farmhouse, maybe more. And the new, you know, not the new owners, the original owners, the soldier and his wife, they decide, you know, this house is old. We got the money, let's knock it down and build a brand new one. Well, in the meantime, the son and the daughter get married to the people living there, their daughter and the son of the owner. So they build a house over on the other side and they build the in-laws' house over on this side. The in-laws are going to take care of the land. and I mean, there you go. But notice, the son had to get his bride. The bride came from the family occupying. And a home was built for them to live in on the land. That is a mediocre example, I guess you could say, of what's going to happen in the last days. Jesus said that after the tribulation of those days, after the final battle 
of Armageddon, after the Satan is loosed for a little time after a thousand years of the reign of Jesus, of which we will be reigning and ruling with him, after that the devil is loosed for a little season, and then the final battle takes place, and at the end of that battle, the Bible says that the, the new Jerusalem, well, first it says that God burns the entire earth. Everything is burned. Amen? And uh, I'm trying to find it here real quick. And everything is burned up. Uh, and a new earth is created. It's in Revelation. It's towards the end. I know that. The first chapter 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Amen. Hallelujah. So you see the example I gave of a new earth and a new heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare for you a place. You have mansions being built for you in heaven. That is an example of what I was just talking about with that farm and the people renting the farm, and the owner of the farm coming back to take it back. It belongs to them. Amen. The point I'm trying to make, I pray that the, the words I'm speaking will ring in your spirit. Jesus represents the Son sent to the current renters. In Jesus' day, he, as the Son of God, was killed, just like the Scripture says. In our day, he's not going to die because he died already voluntarily. And his death, and remember we studied John 1, he is the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created by the Word, and the Word became flesh. That's Jesus. That Word, the Word of God, listen to me, the Word of God died. The Word of God died in the earth. The word of God died. That's what 
people in this earth that are not saved want to happen right now. They want the word of God just to go away. Just We don't want no part of it. You know, you're a Christian, okay, just keep it in the church, keep it to yourself. But even that's not good enough. There's something like 2,000 Christian martyrs being killed every day somewhere in this earth. But yet it doesn't make this liberal news. Uh, The administration in the United States, they don't care about that. Christians are being murdered every day all around this planet because the world that they live in is trying to push Christianity out. We want the word of God to die because if it's no longer relevant in the world in which we live, that means we are now in charge. Man would be in charge. That's representative of the parable we just seen that Jesus talked about. Now, in Matthew 22, he's still talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and... uh, Now, I forgot. Anyway, Jesus answered in verse 1, spoke to them again by parables. And he goes through this story about uh, you know, having a dinner for his his son and people making light of it. Amen. But if we go down to verse 34, we see, well, they came to him, the Sadducees came to him in verse 23 saying, there's no resurrection. We don't believe in the resurrection. And I said, Master, Moses said, and he goes through the story about a man, how Moses said, if a man gets married, doesn't have a child, and dies, then his brother will take his wife, raising up a child to keep the first brother's name alive in Israel. They said there were seven brothers. The first one married, Died without having a child, so the second one took the wife. Same thing all the way down to the seventh. So in the resurrection that you're talking about, whose wife is she going to be? You see, they thought, foolishly, but they thought that they could trick Jesus about the resurrection. Amen. And... uh, The Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses as the authoritative word of God. They rejected all the oral traditions, all the things that the Pharisees held to. They rejected all of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, all that. The only thing they believed was the first five books of the Bible. So, using the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible in which they believed, Jesus answered their questions. Jesus talked about the burning bush, in which God, that's outlined in Exodus uh, 3, 1 through 6, where God identified himself as the God of the living 
not of the dead. Jesus did this by emphasizing the word am in God's statement. Here in the well, we'll read in verse 20. You err not knowing the scriptures. It's not about the scriptures that they believed in. Nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. But they are as angels of God in heaven. That doesn't mean we get wings when we die and become angels. He said they are as the angels. They are spirit beings that live forever. He says, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, which you've asked about, haven't you read what was spoken to you, spoken to you through these books that Moses wrote, by God say, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. You see, God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. That was just a simple but yet a profound interpretation of this passage, and it astonished everyone that was there. You see, the Sadducees understood death as being extinction, not a separation of the spirit and soul from the body, as the Bible teaches elsewhere. Jesus' remarks, if you go to Mark chapter 12, 27, showed how greatly deceived they were to deny the resurrection and the life. Amen. It's doubtful that the situation that the Sadducees were relating to even ever took place. It was more probable they were stating a hypothetical case to complicate the understanding of the resurrection, and by doing that, they could discredit it. And you, if you accept their basic supposition, you know, that marriage continues in heaven, then their reasoning would be correct. It would not be possible to administer marriage in heaven with multiple mates, just as they described. So their reasoning wasn't flawed, but rather the facts upon which their reasoning was based was not based on Scripture. Because the Scriptures speak of two becoming one flesh in Genesis. In marriage, and again, angels do not have flesh. Paul said, and 1 Corinthians 15.50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So marriage is an earthly institution, amen, limited to flesh and blood mortals and will not exist in heaven. You know, t- today many people also use what in their minds is very logical reasonings to try and discredit God's word. But just as Jesus said, they greatly err because their starting point for the argument is not based on Scripture. Only reasonings based on Scriptures have any merit. Amen. So, from what we understand, we know angels don't marry and they don't die. So marriage is temporary for here on earth. Amen. That's why a person whose mate has died, the Bible says, is free to remarry. Marriage pertains only to this life. So, you know, that's not to say that a couple who deeply love each other on this earth won't be together in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. 
They'll love each other infinitely more when they get to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. But the point I'm trying to make is that when Jesus, <laughs> when he said that I am the God of the living, it completely dumbfounded his accusers. It's so simple to understand once Jesus said it. And the truth was so obvious, yet they had apparently not seen this truth. Or else the Sadducees would have heard this argument before. Jesus just quotes from the book of Moses from the burning bush, which they held to as being the truth. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And he then points out that God spoke of being these men's God in the present tense as contrasted with the past tense. This showed beyond a doubt that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still alive. He said, I am their God. They're still here. And the Sadducees were astonished at his answer. And they admitted that he had answered them well. And the Bible says you know, that after that, they didn't want to ask him any more questions. Amen. God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. The God of the dead have their own God, and that's the devil. So you will choose which God you will serve, and you will serve one or the other. Amen? We turn over to Romans chapter 8 as we get ready to close. I want you to see about this life in Jesus. The law of the spirit of life. Now, if it's a spiritual law, it can never be broken. A law is in force at all times. You have the law of gravity, the law of motion, right? Uh, and it can't be broken. A law cannot be broken. And here it says the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. You were under the law of sin and death, but you've been made free through the law of life in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. If you were living in a communist country, you're subject to communist laws. If you're living in a Muslim country, you're stuck and under Islamic law. But if you are liberated and set free you're no longer under communist law. You're no longer under Islamic law. The same thing happens in the spirit. If you, well, it's not if, you are living under the law of sin 
and the law of death. There's two laws right there. The law of sin and the law of death. Sin keeps you separated from God and the end result of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. You see, living in this earth right now, you can still participate in the blessings of God. If you do the things God says to get blessed, you can still profit. The law of seed time and harvest. The law of being good to your fellow man. You can profit by doing these things in the natural. But you are still a sinner. And you're still going to hell at the end of your life. But when you receive Jesus and you receive his death as your death, you die to self. Your spirit man makes the decision, I no longer want to live like this. I want to have eternal life. And you make the declaration that you receive Jesus as your Savior and you ask him into your heart, you have just made the decision that your spirit man dies. And Jesus' life becomes yours. Amen. Verse 6. To be carnally minded means worldly thinking is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Amen. And 2 Corinthians 3, 6. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn over there real quick because we've got to get ready to close. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says, Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. Let's talk about the letter of the law. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen? The Spirit gives life. For if the ministration of death, written and graven in stones, was glorious, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Drop on down to uh, verse 18. Every one of us, we all, with open face, beholding or looking as in a glass, and that translates as mirror, the glory of the Lord, we all are, when we look in a mirror, if you're born again, and you look in the mirror, that's Jesus living in you. You can see it in your eyes. Amen. Do you ever see a picture of uh, uh, someone who, you know, a mass murderer or Hitler or somebody like that, and you say, you know, their eyes are evil. You can see the life of Jesus in a born-again believer through their eyes. Amen. And he says, when you look in a mirror, you see the glory of the Lord. And you're changed into the same image from glory to glory. Even it's by the Spirit of the Lord. When you look in a mirror in the morning, your hair's all messed up. You know, you need a shave if you're a man. Uh, you know, the makeup's not on if you're a woman. But what do you do? You continue to look in that mirror. 
as you clean yourself up. You continue to look in that mirror until the point comes when you're satisfied with what you see. You just watched your appearance go from one level to another. Glory to glory. There's different levels of glory, hallelujah, that you can attain to. But the point is, you have to keep looking in the mirror. If you look in the mirror first thing in the morning, and your hair is all messed up, and then you go out to the kitchen sink and try and put your makeup on, it doesn't work too well, does it? You have to keep looking in that mirror. You keep looking in that mirror until you're satisfied with what you look at. Then you go out and face the world. We need to do the same thing with the Word of God. When you first look into the Word of God, when you first become born again, you may not like what you see as the Word of God is exposing all the flaws in your life. Thank God you're forgiven for all those flaws, but they're still there. Those flaws are still in place. You buy this house, or you go back, You're in our example, you're the soldier, you go back to take possession of that house, and it's been run down. But it's your house. And it's where you want to be. So you begin fixing it up. Remodeling the kitchen, remodeling the bathrooms, putting a new coat of paint, and all of these other things, until finally you can step back and look at what you've done. It's the same thing. Looking in the mirror in the morning. Until finally you like the way you appear. And you go about your day. It's the same thing in the spirit. When you first get saved and start reading your Bible. And you see all these things that you've done. Those are just rough edges and you need to sand them down and make them smooth. And you do that by studying the Word and letting the Spirit of God work with you. For it is no longer you who's alive. It's Jesus in you. It's no longer your life, the Apostle Paul said. It's not I who live anymore. It's Jesus who lives in me. You allow Jesus to live in you. And guide you every step of every day. And he's going to point out something. You may say something curse to a co-worker. And the Holy Spirit is going to rebuke you. You shouldn't have said that. And you'll, you'll, you'll know in your heart. Yeah, I know. Say, so go ask for forgiveness. What? Go ask for forgiveness. Then they're going to think I'm weak. As the, it doesn't matter. Do what the Holy Spirit has to say. Amen. You know, the devil comes for one reason. To steal, kill, and destroy. Actually, it's kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10, and then we'll close. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the only reason temptation comes. It's trying to steal that word out of your heart. It's trying to kill the word from working in your life. And it's trying to destroy your life and your testimony. Jesus says, I'm come that they may have life. Zoe life. The life of God. 
and that they may have this life more abundantly. Amen. Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I now lay down my life for the sheep. Amen. No man, verse 18, can take them from me, can take this life from me. I lay down of myself my life. I have power to lay down my life. And I also have power to take it up again. And this commandment I have received from my Father. Amen. Jesus gives you that same power. The same authority he has, he gives to you. In Romans chapter 10, I want you to see this with your own eyes. Verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Remember, he had to go by faith that when he laid down his life and died, he had to have faith that God would raise him back up. You have to have that same faith. You have to have the same faith Jesus did when you say, Lord, I now die to self. I receive you as my Savior and I ask you to come into my heart and created me a new man. I believe you laid down your life for me. You paid the complete penalty for my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead. You believe that in your heart. Verse 9 says, You shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with your mouth Confession is made for your salvation. In verse 13, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you, pray this prayer with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this day a sinner. But Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe you laid your life down for me. And I believe God raised you from the dead. And I believe as I ask you right now to come into my heart, you do come in and create in me this new life that shall never die. I will always be with you. And I thank you for that, Jesus. And I thank you for it, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org and let us know because we want to rejoice with you. Amen. That's all the time we have for today. Remember, God loves you. We love you. We pray with you and for you every day. And Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. 
For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.